Hello folks, Derek here. As you've probably noticed, this is not your typical episode, but instead is a Monsters Among Us Beyond Unlock. Now I typically take a short mid-season break after episode 9 of the season, but this season I'm sneaking it in a week early. I have family in town, my mom, her longtime boyfriend, and my nephew are visiting. I get to take him on his first trip to Disneyland. We're all pretty excited. So long story short, please enjoy this unlocked episode, Monsters Among Us Beyond number 48, and I'll catch you back here next week with a brand new episode. Keep it spooky. Welcome to Monsters Among Us Beyond, number 48. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Ladies and gentlemen, you're hearing from a tired and, dare I say, crispy version of myself. Just last night I returned from the desert expanses of the Borrego Triangle. And overall, I'd say the shoot was quite successful. And we spoke with several witnesses and a couple experts and a few run-ins with the military. Oh, and we saw and filmed a UFO. But more on all that later on. Despite the 120-degree heat, we survived, and I'm now back in the saddle and ready to deliver your next Monsters Among Us Beyond episode. And since I still have the desert on the mind... Let's field a call from that sun-baked region. So do me a favor, and please help me welcome Eric from California to the show. Hi, Derek. This is Eric from Palm Springs, California. I wanted to call and discuss and hopefully find out if anyone else experienced something around Freaky Friday December, so it was a Friday the 13th in December of 2019. I went to sleep on the 12th that Thursday evening, and at around 11, 11.30, I woke up. I felt like I was in a dream state. I felt like I was being lifted and levitating out of my bed. Uh, my sheets were levitating. My dog was levitating, and there was just this huge, thunderous vibration and so I just started calling out the name of Jesus. I told it to put me down. At the time, I was probably one of maybe three people staying in an old motel that was renovated into an apartment complex. So I know that it most likely had some residual uh, haunting or type of paranormal prevalence. But in my unit specifically, um, it was pretty peaceful until that night. After I called out, like while it was trying to grab me, I felt like I was dreaming just because I was half awake. But most of the time when I dream, I'm really not able to scream. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs and I told it to put me down. I called on the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden the light bulbs, they hewed really bright. They didn't burst, but it was like a flash from out of the windows, just an extremely bright light and a really high-pitched noise, like a dog whistle. So I come to after that, thinking, okay, I just woke up from a a dream, a little nightmare, whatever. Well, it was about 2 a.m., and the lights in my apartment, my little studio apartment, are still on. Typically, if I'm going to sleep, I don't sleep with the lights on. So to have slept 
for a good four hours because I laid down around 10 p.m. on the 12th and then I wake up on Friday the 13th at around 2.30 a.m. It was odd. Everything was in place. Everything seemed fine, except the next morning I was headed out to go to work and my car wouldn't start. The battery was dead. So, you know, I called my insurance company, my roadside assistance, and they came and jumped my battery. The guys that were jumping my battery seemed very off. They just seemed very distant. You know, living in the desert, I know drugs and stuff can be a problem. So I was kind of used to just giving people the benefit of the doubt and, you know, just understand they're trying to get by. But it was when I got to work and my supervisor, I was kind of just discussing how my night went, kind of had a rough sleep. And she was telling me that her husband, who actually works for the electrical plant in Palm Springs, he had to go to work that night of the 12th into the Friday the 13th because there was an explosion in the middle of Palm Springs, some type of electrical equipment or something. And I was asking her what time, and she said around 11, 11.30 p.m. And I thought, you know, that's not a coincidence. So throughout the workday, I go out there. I was actually taking my dog to work. And at some point, if it got really busy inside, I didn't want him to get antsy, so I put him in the car. But my car wouldn't start, so I couldn't turn on the AC. My car was parked, literally, there was a wall and then the parking lot, and he was parked right behind me, so I didn't really worry about that. But my car wouldn't start and I had to actually buy a new battery. And I sincerely think that whatever happened affected the battery of my car. My cell phone wasn't acting right. My computer kind of fell to pieces after that. And actually, I ran into that guy at a Christmas party a couple of weeks later, and I wanted to record him saying what you know he experienced, but he wasn't comfortable with that because that's his job. But there's actually a little bit more to the story that I found out about that night. And I wasn't the only one that experienced something. My neighbor, Lori, I saw her that evening, that Friday night. And most of the time we're not home on a Friday night. I mean, we were living in Palm Springs. Everyone has something to do. I worked at a cafe. She worked at a restaurant, but she happened to be off that night. And I said, do you want to have some wine? Do you want to have a cigarette? And I was like, did you experience something weird last night at work? And she was like, actually, I did, close to closing. And I was like, okay, what happened? And I was like, it was around 11, right? And she was like, yeah. Everyone, you know, we were doing our thing. I was walking across the restaurant, and then all of a sudden, all the windows just got really bright, and all the lights got really bright. And then it seemed like the power went off, but the power never went off, according to the computers and stuff, because the computers and monitors were still on, the computers weren't restarting. However, she explained that the dial tone on the phone was not there, that the phone line was totally dead. Everyone noticed it where she was at, and I experienced what I did, and then I got confirmation there was an explosion, and none of this was reported on the news or anything like that. So I am just very interested in finding out because they're after... I actually had a Murphy bed, one of those beds that, you know, you pull down from the wall because it was a small studio and it has springs in it. And after that, for the, over the next couple of days, I would hear this hissing noise underneath my bed. But when I actually looked, one of the springs that was filled with like this gel or aerosol was just spewing, which was totally random. I don't know what would cause it to start spewing out this yellow gunk but it was going and going until it finally just ran out of whatever fluid is inside of those and it's an ikea bed it's nothing special but i know you know they're made to last and the other spring didn't do that and another big thing that happened was that i had had this uh, bump on my chest on my clavicle i don't remember when i first noticed it but i just always felt like it was always there i thought it was kind of a bone protrusion well that Friday, it started like getting inflamed and um, this is kind of graphic and gross. So if you're squirmish or don't like gore, uh, you might want to skip ahead. But it opened up and it was almost like this pussing like zit or abscess. And I've had abscesses before, but this thing like stank, like it smelled hideous. And it was like something was trying to push out of me. I went to my doctor that Tuesday, the 17th, 
and he lanced it and let it bleed out. However, about an hour when after I got home, I looked in the mirror and dr- blood was just dripping all over me. And I went to the ER. My clothes were ruined. By the time I got to the ER, which is about two miles away, covered in blood, and they couldn't get the bleeding to stop. I don't know if they took anything out of me. I don't know if something is still there, but in my opinion, since I've had UFO and near abduction experiences before or lost time experiences, I don't know. But you of all people know that coincidences aren't always coincidences. So this all just kind of accumulated at a very trying time, but the physicality of it and the blood and just I still have a scar on my chest to this day I never had a scar on my chest I'm a model actor and now I'm kind of insecure about it but when I see people that have pulled out pieces of microchips and stuff out of them that they don't know how they got there the scar kind of looks just like that and so I don't know if they were coming back to take what they had placed in me before but I'm glad I called on the name of Jesus to get it off of me. I replaced my battery. My computer still needs to get fixed, but I will never forget that night. And I'm very interested in finding out if anyone else in Palm Springs, Coachella Valley experienced something like that on December 13th, 2019, Freaky Friday and December 12th, flash of light, lost time, something happened. And a couple of weeks later, I saw a meteorite fall right behind me. It looked like it fell into the mountain. It was beautiful, but also scary. So in any case, thank you so much for what you do. Love the show. Bye-bye. Thanks, Eric. That's a sizable collection of experiences, and or possibly some of the worst luck around. And coincidentally, the date in question just happens to be my mother's birthday. And also, coincidentally, that date holds significance when it comes to astronomical events in our own nighttime sky. Hey everyone, we've got something pretty cool that you can see in the skies this Sunday evening. The annual Geminid meteor shower is taking place. This happens every year as Earth passes through a debris field from the comet 3200 Phaethon. The best view is going to be overnight Sunday and into early Monday. What you want to do, look up, find the constellation Gemini. Great way to do that, download one of those stargazer apps and it can help you find the constellation. You'll be able to see 60 to 120 meteors per hour. This is our best shower of the year and our forecast is calling for some chilly that clip courtesy of WHAS ABC News 11 out of Louisville Kentucky and also coincidentally that date 12 13 19 just happened to be the best day to view the annual event that year and as it turns out that meteor shower can be seen in most parts of the globe including Palm Springs And as for the car not starting, I tried my best to link that to some sort of cold snap or something like that in the area. Cold weather can often finish off an already weak car battery. But despite getting down to a brisk 53 degrees on the evening of the 12th, that's hardly the frigid temperatures I half expected to find. And the electricity issue. I couldn't find much aligning outages or surges with that particular date, but I did find major outages to be in abundance that year, perhaps making it more of a common occurrence that particular season. But you know I have nothing on the bad reaction to the inpatient surgery, or why a wound would suddenly bleed excessively. But I am also quick to admit that I am not a doctor, so perhaps there is some sort of logical explanation there. So from a bird's eye view, what are we looking at here? Are these misfortunes mere coincidences? Happenstance that Eric's brain, for one reason or another, found rhyme and reason in? Or is there something behind the superstition that the 13th day of the month, falling on a Friday, is in itself a bad omen? Or, if I may, a third option coming from someone that just returned from that area. I can tell you with utmost certainty that the desert is a strange place, no matter the time of the year. So thank you, Eric, for sharing your entry. 
Now, if you have a story you would like to hear played on the show, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And you know, not all submissions come in the form of a story. From time to time, I receive entries I like to refer to as rebuttals. Now, these messages can be anything from explanations to corrections and encouragement to simply additional info on a past call. And any longtime listener of the show can tell you that I love to play these rebuttal calls on these MAUB episodes. And to keep the tradition going, tonight's rebuttal comes to us from Trucker Jerry. Hello, Derek. This is Trucker Jerry. I was just listening to Season 6, Episode 18, and the chemist lady was on there talking about her theory about iron in the water causing the rust stains that people mistake for blood on their hands. It was in regard to a lady that called in with an experience that she woke up with blood all over her shirt. I would put forth a simpler theory in that This used to happen to me quite often as a child. I suffered from severe bloody noses, and I would get them in the night. And I would wake up quite often with blood on my hands because my nose would start bleeding. And I would reach up in my sleep and rub my nose. I would wake up quite often with blood all over my shirt, on my face, on my neck, on my pillow. Just thought when I heard them talking about the blood on the shirt and then about the experiences that former callers had had with blood on their hands, just curious if it always happened while they were sleeping. I think that might be a fairly easy explanation for how you could have blood all over you without having any wound or cut on your skin. Anyhow, that's just kind of my thoughts that popped in my head right away when I heard the story. So have a great day. Keep up the good work. And I love the podcast. Thank you, sir. Now, Trucker Jerry is referring to Beth, whom as a chemist theorized that rust in old pipes could cause discoloring resembling blood. Now, Beth was actually referring back to Season 9, Episode 9, where Josh shared a story of awaking to find blood on his hands a few nights over a week-long span. And wouldn't you know, Josh is referring back to an original caller named Tim from Arizona. But unfortunately, I was unable to find the episode on which that call was featured. Which tells me it was likely very early on in the show's existence. Regardless, I think I like Trucker Jerry's explanation the best. Now obviously... The iron-rich water theory Beth suggested certainly holds water, so to speak. But I can't help but think Trucker Jerry's theory is more likely to happen. So thank you again, Trucker Jerry, for sharing your entry. And be safe out there. Now, I've done an awful lot of talking so far this episode. So let's remedy that with a call from Chris in the state of Oregon. Hi, my name's Chris. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. My story actually kind of starts from when I was younger. I was listening to one of your latest podcasts, which I love all of them so far, talking about Tallman episode from Unsolved Mysteries. And I was thinking about the experience that I had when I was younger and thought it related. So it was back in 88, 89. I was uh, about nine or 10 years old at the time. We uh, lived just outside of La Crosse, Wisconsin. And we were at home, just my two brothers, my sister, my mom, and our dog. And we were all sitting around in the living room watching the Unsolved Mysteries episode. And the Tallman episode story came on. We started watching it. And it was kind of towards the end. We all heard this weird sound, and it sounded like a scraping sound. So we all looked at each other, and it stopped. And uh, we kept watching the show. The next story came on, and all of a sudden our dog jumped up took off upstairs and uh and we were all kind of looked at each other again like well that's a bit odd and about 10 15 seconds later huge crash in our bathroom and we all jumped up 
they all ran to the one couch where my mom was sitting and we all looked back towards the, the bathroom and what I recall I saw you could hear you could hear like people walking through the glass like footsteps glass moving around and on the wall you could hear two shadows and one of the shadows had the other by the neck and was pushing it into the bedroom that was right there which was my brother's and I bedroom so we all just sit there and stare at it for it seemed like forever it was probably only a few seconds my mom and sister got up and walked back there and they turned around the corner screamed took off we all shot out of the house ran up to my uh grandparents house called my dad he was on the night shift he came home checked it out and the big mirror that was above our vanity fell off the wall and smashed on the floor and he said the funny thing was we had a pretty heavy duty wire holding the mirror up and the nail was still in the wall the wire was still intact so not quite sure how it fell or what we were looking at or the shadows go but it was an interesting uh, experience. We had quite a few in that house. It was a, a new house. It was a log house that was built in the early 80s on a piece of property that had some pretty interesting history behind it. So we had some uh, interesting experiences in that house. But that was just one of them. And I heard the episode with the Tallman and uh, thought I'd share this one. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope it can work for you and keep up the good work. Bye. Thanks, Chris. Now, of course, he's referring to the segment that aired on the series Unsolved Mysteries, the story featuring the Tallman family, a Wisconsin family plagued by a residential haunting. Now, here is a segment of that original broadcast to help jog your memory. In early February of 1987... Alan and Debbie Tallman brought home a bunk bed they had purchased at a second-hand furniture shop. You got that, partner? They assembled the bed and stored it in their basement. That's right, didn't we? When the bunk bed was moved upstairs, it marked the beginning of nine months of horror for the Tallmans. From the moment the bed was first slept in, the house appeared to be haunted by spirits that terrorized first the children, then the entire family. The house where the Tallmans lived had no known history of hauntings, and the Tallmans had never in their lives given ghosts a second thought. The irregular churchgoers. Debbie is a housewife and mother, and Alan is shift supervisor in a manufacturing plant. They are credible and responsible citizens, but their paranormal experiences have left them deeply scarred. The Tallmans feel they were in a battle with forces they do not understand, a battle they were destined to lose. Now that segment scared the hell out of me as a kid. And if even half of what the Tallman family reported was true, then I have nothing but pity for them. And as for Chris's experience, part of me wonders if an entity somehow was able to view the program along with the family. An entity that's been with this family for months or possibly even years. And perhaps that entity was somehow inspired by what it was watching on the television. Now, of course, I have no idea how those rules work, so this is strictly speculation. But we do appreciate the entry, Chris, and I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one that was traumatized by that particular episode. Now, folks, our next incredible tale comes to us from a familiar voice. Mikey from Idaho. Take it away. Hey, Derek. This is Mikey from Idaho again. I've called in a couple different stories. and Okay, anyway, this story is my first memory as a child when I was still living in Chicago so we moved here when I was maybe three or four so this was a very early memory and it was a memory not a dream for sure so I was out on this little balcony in the apartment building we lived in and my mom was babysitting uh, one of the kids that lived next door so the balcony connected the back door of my apartment to the back door of his apartment and I remember I was sitting there next to him, sitting crisscross applesauce. And my mom went inside to get a cigarette. And 
me and the kid were communicating telepathically. I know this sounds wild, so I can understand if you don't believe it, but we were communicating telepathically. And I told him that I was going to fly up over the rail and come back down before my mom got back just to like, just, I don't know, like a smart ass jab. And he said, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, the adults aren't supposed to know that we can do this stuff. So it was like a big deal to him that if I got caught, um, that we as little kids weren't supposed to let the adults know that we had these abilities for whatever reason. And I've always felt that small children have kind of a connection to the spirit world. Have I think a lot of people have this belief that when you're at a young age, the veil is really thin. I don't know. This confirms it for me personally. So I, I was still sitting crisscross applesauce and I floated up and I floated out over the railing and I looked back at him and I can remember he was shaking his head. No, like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I just smiled and, and slowly came back over the rail and sat back down before my mom came out with her cigarette. And so later in life, I uh, told my mom this story, and I was like, I want to try to confirm some things here. She's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so was there a balcony that connected our apartment to the apartment next to us? And she was like, yeah. And she kind of figured I was too young to remember any of this. I said, was there a little kid that was a little younger than me that you used to babysit that lived in that apartment? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, were we up maybe three levels? And there was a big patch, a square patch of grass with other apartment buildings, like an L formation. She's like, yeah. And so to me, that kind of cemented that, that this was a memory. This wasn't something that I had made up in my head or, I mean, it, you, you can tell the difference between a memory and a dream. So, uh, that's my story. That's actually like the second memory that I have in my life. And the other one was really brief. So again, I was so stoked to hear my voice on the podcast. I love the podcast. And that was kind of my 15 minutes of fame. So I've heard a couple stories of small children that um, remember flying on your podcast. So Maybe you can use this, and maybe that kind of corroborates their evidence. Thanks, Derek. Keep it up. Thanks, Mikey. I'm happy to hear that we made your day. Now, the story Mikey told is very similar to other entries we've received over the years. I've even had strange dreams that I spoke about previously that have almost convinced me I once had the ability to fly myself. In fact, my dad even confided in me that he too has had the same dreams. So maybe there's something to it. Or perhaps it's simply something imagined, inspired by superheroes, magicians, or illusionists. Well, either way, thank you, Mikey, for sharing the experience. Now our next entry this evening was sent in by Brittany in the state of Massachusetts. Hi, Derek. My name is Brittany. I'm calling from Marlboro, Massachusetts. And this story happened about three years ago in 2017. So I was riding my horse, and I'd come back from riding him. I usually ride about 8 o'clock at night till about 10. Well, by the time I'm done brushing him and putting him away and everything. So I was meeting my friend um, at her apartment over in a place called Wheeler Hill Apartments. It's kind of like one of those places where they have a bunch of apartment complex, um, they have a, like a central pool and a gym, a place like that. But this place was built up so that the apartments were built on a very steep hill. So if you were at a parking lot of one apartment complex and you parked, you'd be kind of looking down into the top level. Um, there are three-story apartments at the top level of the next apartment that was probably a 200 feet away. In between the apartments was probably about 30 feet of tall pine wood that they decided not to cut down. They're probably about seven years old, so they're pretty tall. 
And then there was a parking lot below those tree levels for that parking complex, you know, below where I was parked. I was parked on the top level. So when I parked, basically when you pull in and you park, your headlights kind of hit the top level of the apartment below you. So I shut off my headlights, kind of keeping that in mind. And I have a big Silverado and, and the pretty bright light. So I shut that off and I was looking at my phone to text my friend say I was here because you have to kind of get the doors unlocked and whatnot. And as I'm doing that, waiting for her to respond, I, I looked ahead of me and I saw a really, really bright light. I thought it was someone with a really bright flashlight because it was, it was about ground level on the parking lot below me. So probably about 75 feet below my truck down the hill. And I thought just because I had shut my headlights off, I was kind of aware of the light and people sleeping it was about 10, 15, 10, 30 at night in the fall. And I was like, wow, that's a really bright light. Must be a family going for a walk or something. And as I thought that, the light rose. And it rose kind of in a twisting pattern. And I thought they were shining the flashlight up for a second. But the way that the shadows were coming through the trees, through the pine trees, it was is as if you had a glowing orb about the size of a basketball, maybe a little bit bigger than a basketball, but just as bright as if you've seen a stick of magnesium. If you've ever been to chemistry class or anything like that in college, it was that bright. It was as bright as magnesium and on fire. It was in the, the, the shadows from the trees. They were going both down and up as if you were holding it in the middle of the trees, you know, straight ahead of me, which would be about 75 feet up the ground. And it continued to rise up above the tree level and then it just shot straight up and that's my first story my second story happened about six months later i was driving to my barn which is on the other side of town over in berlin massachusetts and i was coming down this big hill it's called orchard hill and i'm coming down the hill and so this is about spring 2018 it was a clear night and i saw what i thought was a shooting star but as i thought oh a shooting star the light was actually going from the bottom of the hill that I was on, and it kind of went slow and then just shot straight off into space. And I actually locked the brakes up on my truck because I was like, holy crap, what the hell is that? Both times, I mean, when people say they see these stories, it, you think, oh, it could be this, could be that. But my reaction both times was, holy, you know, bleep crap, what the hell was that? I stood there shaking for... 15 minutes getting outside my car trying to get my phone to get it on camera and I couldn't get it back but those are my stories and I hope you could use them um, I absolutely love your podcast and um, keep up the work thank you thanks Brittany that certainly sounds like an active area now the first encounter that Brittany reported reminds me of what US military members saw in Rendlesham Forest back in the early 80s a U.S. military installment in the U.K. that was visited two evenings in a row by a strange glowing ball of light. But then again, it also reminds me of the ball lightning phenomena. But Brittany, I can only suggest this. Go out and get yourself a dash camera. Not only will it be worth its weight in gold for insurance claims, but it'll see and record essentially anything you see through your own windshield. And surprisingly, these units are not all that expensive. Just don't make the same mistake that I did. Make sure it's set up properly and operating before you mount it up. Apparently, mine has not been recording for weeks, and I recently just found out. It's frustrating. Either way, thank you again, Brittany, for sharing that entry. Okay, so our next to last entry this evening was sent in by Mac in the state of Illinois. Hey, Derek. It's Mac from the land of Lincoln. It's 9-10-2019, the eve before the anniversary of 9-11, and I want to tell you about what happened the night of 9-10-2001. So I had a group of friends that we used to get together for a while there, you know, almost every night, and we play card games, you know, as mundane as Uno or something like that. And I'm not a good card player anyway. But we were playing uh, another game that was pretty fun among us where the objective was to get a hand, a suit, a color in order. And you move up to the next hand and be, you know, you get uh, two cards, three cards, things like that. Well, that night it was just three of us, two girls and myself. And as we were playing, I kind of got into a, I won't say a bad mood, 
but I could tell that something wasn't feeling right. I, sometimes I get like that, but th- this was particularly different. And as we played the hands, it came out that uh, one of us got a 666. And we began to joke about it. Like, oh, it's the bad hands, the bad, you know, it's the evil card, whatever. And from that hand to the, the round to the next rounds that we had, we all got six, six, six in order. And they kind of weirded us out at the end. By the end of the game, my last hand of that night was seven, seven, seven. So I knew everything was going to be okay. People don't know the significance of that. They, you know, it's the Trinity, seven, 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 the perfect number. Six, six, six being the sign of the devil, of course. But I did notice as we were playing that game that our moods did change, as I said. And it seemed like a shadow was in the room. I didn't see a shadow, but it just felt like, it just seemed like the lighting got darker. Okay, so we move on from there. I've got a buddy. Uh, I had to, to call him and get uh, permission to use his name. Uh, well, to, to tell the story, it's not his name. Uh, I'll just call him Al. And I went to Al's place that night, right after the game, and I told him exactly what happened. Now, my friend Al, he is very into the other world. He can see things, he feels things, he knows things. And his attention, when I got there, it was almost midnight by then, was very distracted. And I could tell he wasn't in the best of moods. And I asked him, hey, what's going on? He says, uh, he says I don't think I'm going to get any sleep tonight. So, well, what's going on? He says, well, there's just things are moving, moving all over the place. And it's just, it's really bothered me. I said, okay. And I explained the, the card game that I had. And just as I left, I said, hey, well, maybe we need to watch the news in the next couple of days, you know, see if something's happening. And that was the last thing I said that night to him. I went home, I went to bed late, and I didn't know anything about what happened until I got to work the next day because I didn't have to be in until 11 o'clock. And by then, everything had happened. And I had to think about that card game and how strange that it was. Almost like a, I don't know, supernatural warning, I guess, but I didn't heed it because I didn't know kind of thing. Uh, so my buddy Al, for a time, like I said, he is very connected with things. And for a time, he was doing tarot cards. And he would read our, our hands for us. And uh, during that summer... We'd gone to his house, myself and uh, another couple. They weren't married at this point, but they were basically asking him, you know, what's going to happen with them in the future. So he read theirs individually, read mine, and then he read his own. And without exception, he said that in each hand for all four of us, we all had a virtually identical reading. The tower, the burning tower, you know, the tower doesn't mean bad things necessarily all the time but it does mean change and from what he read we were all going to change within the the next year and we had no idea how it was going to change but I think that was telling us that something big was going to happen soon and of course it did and we all were definitely changed well, since then, my buddy Al, he's uh, he's been keeping me up to date on how things feel. And I just talked to him today, and he said that things have picked up in the last few months a lot. So, maybe, maybe not. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll just have to wait and see. That's my story for the moment. That's what happened. I was curious if anybody else had any strange experiences before that. I'll call back with more. Thanks, Mac. I was living in our fraternity house on campus. Sleeping, as I recall, when my roommate and best friend to this day burst in and screamed that we were under attack. Confusion and anger quickly flooded the room. I spent the majority of that day staring at an empty grill at the greasy spoon I worked at at the time. No smartphones for updates, no customers with input. Just an empty grill and a lot of questions. Talk about a terrifying day. 
But Mac, it seems you've experienced the same frustration that writer John Keel often wrote about, knowing that something was going to happen, but not enough details to know anything about it or have any ability to stop it. So what do you say, listeners? Has anyone else out there received what they perceive to be a warning before that dark day back in 2001? 888-608-NIGHT is the number if that happens to be the case. And until we hear from those folks, thanks again, Mac, for sharing your story. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to tonight's final entry. And to round this whole thing out, please welcome Jacqueline from Oklahoma to the program. Hey, Derek, this is Jacqueline from Oklahoma. I was just listening to your podcast. I listened to season five, episode five, and you were talking about the child that had the imaginary friend. Her name was Marjorie White, I believe. Anyway, and you yourself actually made it st- set a statement of, you know, the only comfort that we can take in this is that most of the time the children do not remember and they the memories fade and it seems like children that are more sensitive to this type of stuff it fades and they, as they grow so I'm here to say that I was a child with an imaginary friend and I do remember it and I do remember the memories and they do fade I will say it's faded a bit I've had a few encounters where I've spoken to some other people who are would claim to be uh, mediums or psychics or something of that nature and they definitely stay that I may be like that I'm kind of skeptical I'm not sure that I buy totally into that but I do have a lot of unexplained very odd things that do happen to me so this is one of those stories so when I was a kiddo my granny was taking care of her mom who we called granny junie granny junie her husband's name was pa hank they both lived in this tiny house together and as my granny junie was passing away she would see angels in the yard i never saw the angels but she would see the angels in the yard and then she would talk to pa hank and pa hank was had a very uh rigid schedule we will say he got up really early he liked to get up in the middle of the night almost always the same time he was not very considerate or quiet he would bang around and go to the bathroom like that's what he was doing it's just he was going to the bathroom the toilet would flush and sometimes it would flush back to back doors tapping noises uh doors never opened but you would hear the noise I have some stories that my pa Hank told me. I have some stories that I realized were corroborated by other family members that would say little things in passing. And honestly, because of the way that this was all laid out, it never occurred to me that these were memories of a entity. So the kicker is that I have very good memories of my pa Hank. I know what he looks like. I've seen pictures of him too. And I was like, yeah, it's pa Hank. My most vivid memories are I did a thing a lot of times when I was really young called daisy chains like you just sit and I like to pick dandelions and I basically would make jewelry out of them like a little flower child and put them in my hair but I would do this a lot of times in the backyard under a tree that my granny Junie had in her yard and he would sit like under the tree with me and just tell me stories anyway only kicker is I was born in 82 and my pa Hank died in 81 I don't know that I really shared many of these memories at the time. I know that my granny had talked to me at some point about how I would talk about seeing them and they just dismiss it. And they all knew that there was ghostly activity in the house surrounding him because my granny Junie would never stay there on the anniversary of his death. He did die in the house, I think. I've never had that confirmed by a family member, but I just always felt like I knew that. Again, I don't understand, but... I just always felt like I knew that. I'm pretty sure he did. He died there. So if he didn't, he started to, and then he died right later. But he died there while he lived there. Anyway, so I have so many of those memories. I'm not going to tell all of my family stories. And he was actually a very interesting character. Um, He had some ties into, like, prohibition and things of that nature. So I have some cool stories that I'm grateful that I got to have. But I don't think I ever realized that I was getting stories from a ghost. My granny Junie passed when I was eight. So these 
occurrences happened when I was eight and younger. I have memories probably from the time I was about six, maybe five or six. That's about as far back as any memories go for me. But I have memories, just little pieces of them. So anyway, that's my story. Take it or leave it. But um, yeah, I had an imaginary friend. They just always, it, it wasn't a stranger. It was a relative of mine. So that may cast it in different light. But yeah, I had that. And uh, it just never felt like ghosts. It just felt like talking to my paw Hank. So anyway, there's my story. Love your podcast. Love the avenue. Love the way that you piece everything together. I just, I really like everything about it. So it is definitely my favorite podcast and um, I'm binging my way through. And as I hear things, I tell stories that remind me of them. So thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Bye everybody. Oh, shocks. Thanks, Jacqueline. Imagine that, communicating with a ghost without even realizing it. And to have it be a loved one as well. It's an incredible experience. Now this entry reminds me of Julie's entry from Season 10, Episode 6, where she told of a woman suddenly appearing in her passenger seat. A woman, Julie assumed, was the victim of a car crash she just happened to be driving past. Now I can't put my finger on it, but they each give off a similar vibe. But of course, the glaring difference we can't ignore is that Jacqueline's imaginary friend may have turned out to be real. So that got me researching the phenomena of imaginary friends. And thanks to the Mental Health Network, I learned a thing or two. And do the darndest things, especially to their invisible friends. But now a new study shows kids who have imaginary friends actually benefit later in life. Researchers in Britain found children with imaginary friends are likely to be better problem solvers and better equipped for real-life social interactions, both as children and adults. They end up having what's called covert private speech while they play. So this internalized speech helps them develop the ability to think through cognitive tasks. By the age of six, we're pretty fully developed with our personalities. Okay. After that, by um, 8, 9, 10, you should not have an imaginary friend, but I think it's fantastic when kids are young and they're able to, you know, kind of embrace those cognitive developmental yeah. skills. I think a lot of it's creativity, too. We always, yeah. As adults, we hear the things like, that's not realistic. Kids don't know. So I suppose if your child is going around talking to someone or something you can't see, you can at least know that it's good for their development. That is, until you hear something like this. Gina, what are you doing? Same friend that you were playing with yesterday? Yeah. I don't see anybody, Gina. Invisible? What's his name? Oh. She's a little girl. Is she cute? Hi, Dorothy. He doesn't like you. Why? He says she doesn't like you. Why doesn't she like me? Because she said that you're weird. That I'm weird? Yeah. Well, you have to tell Dorothy has to go home. Okay. Now that clip courtesy of MT Paranormal on YouTube. And it just so happens that Gino's dad, the adult voice in the previous clip, is a paranormal investigator. It also just so happens that he had recently investigated the town of Banak, Montana, the purported home of a ghost named Dorothy. And that's going to do it for this episode. A huge thank you to Jacqueline for sharing her story. And another massive thanks to you for chipping in to support the show. Monsters Among Us Beyond is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the terrifying score you hear in the background, well, that's Co.H.G. Music and Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. Thank you so much for listening, 
Thank you so much for the support. And until next time. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.